Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced Global Cosmetics News. Is 2021 the year the industry addresses the broken color cosmetics business model? How do we fix questionable ingredient sourcing, overproduction of unrecyclable packaging, homogenous products, marketing the marketing, retail's renaissance, the post-pandemic consumer, and still be able to meet the beauty needs of women today? Which companies have already changed direction? And how can the industry learn from them? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce this month's panel. Welcome to Mallory Huron, Strategist, Beauty and Wellness at Fashion Snoops. We are also joined by Ross Beagree, Commercial Director at Decipher, and a warm welcome to Gillian Gorman, CEO at Keir Wise. Mallory, let's start with you. In 2021, what are the key social drivers impacting the global cosmetics market? Well, I think culturally our society is still processing much of its trauma from the pandemic and the effects from the pandemic are still very much fluid in nature. The need for calm and stress-free simplicity has been a major movement within color cosmetics as we see consumers increasingly gravitating towards less but better products, multifunctional options, and quality hero products that embrace what has been called emotional beauty, which is this intrinsic emotional connection between our beauty routines and our emotional state. We're really craving a more intentional connection with our routines, resulting in less consumerist and more conscious consumption. When we buy something, we want it to support our mental health, our lifestyles, and our ethics. Next, I also think we're seeing this emergence of a real need to indulge and escape which we're seeing play out through the TikTok-driven aesthetic trend with things like cottagecore, royalcore, and Y2K becoming fun opportunities for consumers to use makeup to try on new personas. I think there's something to be said about this potential new Roaring Twenties, which has been the subject of much discussion in comparison to the 1920s. And socially, we definitely expect to see a continued need to celebrate and feel good, fueling continued color cosmetics trends like the nostalgia movement, which is seemingly nonstop at the moment. And lastly, inclusivity, of course, remains a huge focus for color cosmetics as we see the continuation of social justice movements that swept the cultural zeitgeist last year. The real shift we're seeing is towards more tailored options for people of color with brands like Ami Cole's tinted skin enhancing uh, tint that prides itself on being makeup for melanin rich skin. Melanin rich has become a major trend a word within color cosmetics along with the term culturally rooted as we see consumers gravitating towards beauty rituals that really mirror their authentic experiences and cultural identity. And talking tailored products, Ross, at Decipher, what are the key social drivers impacting your business? Well, we've seen um, the Zoom cultures have quite a big impact as to how consumers are buying products, which you know we've seen that is starting to return now. But you know we saw consumers really not feeling the need to wear as 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 many products as they would have done. Uh, we're now seeing that that return to you know similar levels to where it was before. But talking particularly about tailored options. Yeah, I think Mallory mentioned about you know, technology starting to be more of a uh, a bigger trend within the space. So there's a lot of people out there who are trying to bring technology to the sector, but don't necessarily have an option that really drives value for the consumer. 
And that's really where we come in with our technology of being able to do something that really makes a difference. So having a, uh, a truly inclusive uh, approach that allows consumers to, to build their own products and to be able to get the, the product that they really need that doesn't just tick a box, but really starts to bring uh, a product to them that really is unique. And yeah, as I say, doesn't just tick a box in, in saying that it's personalized and being a standard formula with you know, a few slight tweaks, being able to build out a concept and a, and a product that is truly unique to them is becoming more and more, not only desirable, but more and more of a need. And also the on-demand aspect. So being able to create a product that can be delivered you know, instantly, we're seeing Deliveroo partnering with a number of retailers to create that instant gratification, as it were, of delivering the product to the consumer very quickly. Uh, we're seeing that as being more of a, a requirement for customers of being able to get things as quickly as possible. And the on-demand aspect then flows into the sustainability aspect of if you're making the product directly for the customer that is purely based on what they need, then you hit a point of zero waste, which moves away from that greenwashing aspect of being able to, to say, this truly is gonna have a big impact on the sustainability of the sector. And that key wise, Gillian? Well, I think, I think that Mallory and Ross have both made really, really interesting points. And, um, you know, we are a brand, we are a brand that is, is, is slightly over 10 years old, founded by Kirsten Kierweiss, who founded the brand as, as a leading makeup artist to be rooted in certified organic ingredients and high performance delivered through certified organic ingredients. And all of our packaging is either refillable, recyclable or recycled. And of course, you know, I, I refer you back to the fact that this brand has been in operation for over 10 years and is rooted in those principles. So really was ahead of its ahead of its time. And I think a lot of what Mallory was referring to in terms of the thoughtful consumer buying buying products that one loves and has great joy in using but really uses the idea that the shoebox full of product that is in the back of the cupboard that one doesn't use anymore is very passe it's not chic it's not current and it's not what the consumer wants coming out of coming out of the pandemic and I agree again with what Mallory was saying about we're still processing a lot of the lasting impact from that and the lasting impact will be on consumption and on thoughtful consumption. No less desire for product, no less hunger for the joy and the gorgeousness of beauty. And I think a return to dressing up and getting made up and feeling great about oneself. And of course, makeup and beauty in general is, is a huge part of that, but definitely teamed with what we don't just see as a trend, but we see absolutely as a movement to thoughtful consumption and tying that into not just the product doing exactly what you want it to do and performing to the very best of its abilities for you as a consumer, but also being a better product for the planet and, and, and better for our impact. Um, and I don't think these things go away. I think these are movements, not trends. For Mallory, in 2021, what are the key digital drivers assisting the global cosmetics colour market? Well, this is an area that we're really closely tracking at Fashion Snoops and one where we're seeing some exciting innovation. 
we're seeing huge growth um, in digital makeup options, NFTs, and more realistic AR, VR makeup try-on platforms. Virtual makeup and NFT makeup is certainly a fascinating area to follow. As a society, we really want to express ourselves through digital avatars and virtual alter egos, a concept which you know only a few years ago would have seen been seen as kitschy or futuristic niche, but the digital acceleration of the pandemic has definitely cemented this area as an essential aspect of all of our lives. Anyone who's used a Zoom makeup filter option over the past year and a half is already incorporating virtual makeup into their daily presentation of themselves. And virtual makeup is really going to change the way we view color cosmetics in the future. Options are becoming so advanced that you can take a picture completely barefaced and not only erase imperfections, but also add a full face of makeup. You know, and this is why we're seeing savvy makeup brands get in on this trend early. NYX Makeup, for example, recently partnered with designer Rebecca Minkoff during NFT Fashion Week, creating a variety of exclusive makeup, um, digital makeup options for the designer. You know, and with digital models on the rise and virtual alter egos trending, having elevated virtual makeup options will become increasingly important. We're even seeing whole reality shows arise from the concept with the new skin competition alter ego in which contestants use a digital avatar to gain the confidence to compete and express themselves. And lastly, the influence of social media still can't be understated. Instagram and TikTok remain hugely influential platforms for color cosmetics trends as consumers look to join in on viral aesthetics, challenges, and product recommendations. The recent buzz, for example, over Clinique's Black Honey, a simple staple product that's been around since 1971. Anecdotally, I remember it being one of the first lipsticks I used. Um, is the latest proof of the TikTok effect, as this universally flattering lipstick went viral over the app, resulting in a run on black honey lipsticks, with numerous articles and TikToks advising over dupes for this popular product. So expect to see more of this influence in the future. And Decipher is a digital business, Ross. What is driving the business forward in 2021? Well, we've seen a lot of push to brands uh, active, be more active online and they're struggling to find a way to, to cut through and to offer something that's truly different. And that's, you know, we originally started off as a, an in-person experience. That was our business model was built around being in retail and we were going to be the reason why consumers should travel back to stores having been dropping off online for a number of years. And then, of course, the pandemic arrived and we had to pivot our business model. You know, the, we had no idea in March 2020 how long stores would be shut for. We were a, a startup. You know, we were still trying to uh, you know, prove our technology to the world, and we couldn't wait a year for retail to, to reopen. So we then worked with some partners and, and did a lot of development work internally to create the technology that you see when you visit our website today. Uh, we work with a couple of other partner brands as well, but predominantly our, our focus is on our brand decipher. And the when we set out to do this, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't a fad and a gimmick. And this is what I referred to earlier of, there is a lot of technology now and a lot of businesses, whether it's Perfect Core, Revive, and a whole host of others who are looking to develop a product and an experience and a more immersive experience at that, that means that their customers and ultimately their customers' consumers feel like they've got more from the experience than had they just had the traditional experience of buying online. And it's quite difficult to do because a lot of the time to a consumer, it feels quite gimmicky or quite faddy and can feel uh, like you're getting the same experience, just elongated over a longer period. 
And everything we've done and, and a lot of the other you know, tech providers out there are trying to do is to make it more gamified, more interesting, more engaging through the process. And what we've tried to do, or what we do, is to allow customers to co-create. So rather than just being prescriptive, which we've seen that the consumers don't necessarily like being told what to do and what is right for them, but they do want some assistance in finding the right product. And the future really is going to be about a truly immersed, personalized experience. And you know, this is something that's in our pipeline longer term is how do we use information from consumers that they, they're happy to provide to create a fully recommended, more than just a look, but a kind of almost like an ecosystem that means that a consumer can find every product they need without that trial and error. And we mentioned earlier about the, the shoebox. I think it's um, Manu might have mentioned about that, that the shoebox of shame, as we call it, which is full of foundations that consumers have tried. And then it sits there out of sight, never used. And it's just a total waste of the consumer's money and also the resource that has gone into not just making it, but shipping it. Uh, and then it's never used. It's just a, a total waste. So, yeah, there's a lot of factors wrapped up in this, but yeah, we come back to sustainability being one and the experience for the consumer being the other. And that is you know, particularly what we're trying to change is to make sure the customer gets a good experience. And we're also reducing the impact that we as an industry have on the planet. And how core is digital technology at Kearwise, Gillian? Well, I think like like every brand, it's it's absolutely core. Our goal is to be is to be a digital first first brand, and you know, so far this year, we've moved uh, our D two C business from being thirty three percent of our total sales at the beginning of the year to just uh, around about fifty percent of our total sales year to date. So that's 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 where we want to be. We truly believe in wholesale and the right bricks and mortar experience, particularly as a luxury brand. And there's a lot of interesting conversation to be had around what the definition of luxury is uh, in the future. And I certainly think that comes back to thoughtful consumption and products that one uses and loves, even if they're confidently priced. I think that that's what the consumer wants. But in terms of in terms of digital and, and the movements in digital technology, absolutely for any brand, um, whether little or very big, um, the staying current and staying and staying ahead, if at all possible, of what is happening in the digital landscape is critical because that is where the consumer is and the pandemic simply accelerated those those consumer habits, as both Mallory and Ross have said, um, you know, there's both, you know, there's both areas within our control, creating content, being relevant, making sure that we are putting out messaging and content um, and entertainment fundamentally that our consumer audience feels is relevant and exciting for them. And there are then uh, many, many different actors and um, things happening within the digital landscape that are out of our control. The iOS 14 update, which of course has completely and utterly changed the landscape around retargeting um, for, for all Apple users, which as we know um, in the West and in an affluent community, in an affluent audience is, is the majority of our, of our user base. The recent iOS 15 update, which is the potential to limit email sharing um, with brands, these are uh, these are two factors that we're having to work our way through, as is 
every other consumer brand within the industry, whether beauty or any other channel of fast moving consumer goods. Um, we're seeing, you know, paid media become, frankly, less, uh, less, uh, less productive, as has the rest of the industry. Rates have gone up, productivity has come down. So while we continue to focus and pivot to being a digital first business for whatever that means for each individual business we're also having to make sure that we are taking in, in into account offline opportunities as well to really ensure that we have a rounded experience for our consumer because the digital model has changed and will continue to change and talking thoughtful production Mallory in 2021 what are the environmental drivers impacting the global color cosmetics market well, we're really seeing an interesting shift in the way that consumers are now pursuing sustainability. Firstly, consumers are becoming more cognizant of the impact of makeup formulations themselves, not just packaging. Popular ingredients like mica and carmine are being phased out for ethical and environmental reasons, with brands looking to biotech alternatives to these ingredients that deliver pigment payoff without harming the environment, animals, or communities. We're also seeing an overall return to more raw, wholesome, simple materials for packaging that upcycle unwanted or discarded items and reconnect consumers with sustainable source materials. We're seeing everything from clay, upcycled seashells, stone, and compo compostable materials arise. Another important movement we're tracking is the low waste movement as opposed to zero waste. Brands are increasingly realizing that over-promising and under-delivering is not the way to win consumers' hearts or trust, as consumers have become incredibly critical of brand actions within sustainability. Instead, brands who want to do good but cannot immediately make radical changes are instead opting for low-waste solutions and commitments. It's simply not possible for every brand to immediately make the jump to zero waste and full sustainability, but we're seeing encouraging commitments from brands like Besame Cosmetics, who recently introduced their refillable vintage-inspired compacts, representing a definite step in the right direction, and consumers really do appreciate this effort and authenticity. We're also watching movements like the green beauty movement shift into the blue beauty movement as consumers and brands alike become increasingly concerned about the welfare of our world's waterways with a particular emphasis, of course, on the ocean. Brands like Tarte utilize marine-based extracts in several of their rainforest of the sea color cosmetics while also giving back to ocean-focused nonprofits like the Sea Turtle Conservancy to help protect and preserve marine life. And lastly, we're of course also seeing increased solutions for the beauty industry single-use plastic problem, with mascara in particular becoming a particular source um, of focus for eco-friendly innovation, not only given mascara's continued endurance throughout the pandemic as eyes became the focal point of the face during mask mandates, but also because it is one of the most frequently used and disposed of uh, makeup items. Brands like MLB Beauty use a clean and vegan formula, post-consumer um, PET plastic, and refill programs, with other brands like Izzy Zero Waste utilizing a subscription system with consumers sending back tubes on a three-month cycle, um, similar to up-and-coming brand Shosh Beauty. And so we're really seeing these alternate approaches with refills, biodegradable materials, and packaging um, that helps consumers become more eco-friendly within their daily routines. And Ross, would you say Decipher was a low-waste business? Absolutely. We didn't set out to create an eco-brand. We set out to create a, 
you know, a product that would be, and a technology, because our, our technology isn't just about uh, foundation, it's applicable you know, in, in theory and in concept to pretty much any liquid you could imagine. And there are many uses across the, the beauty sector. It just so happens that we started with the most challenging, which is foundation, because it's, I'm sure everybody would, uh, would have a view that the, there's uh, a subjective element and also technically there's, there's quite a lot to overcome in developing the product. So it's actually quite a happy byproduct that not only do we offer this, this truly personalized, unique, uh, single customer approach uh, platform, but in doing so, creating on-demand manufacture in a scalable way that can happen in your local store or on a single production you know, based online, it takes out so much of the wasted supply chain that it really can have a big impact to, you know, to, to the industry as a whole. That the packaging that we use, a majority of it is recyclable. And as we grow in size, we will make sure that more of it is. And it's about 85% of the, the material that we use is, is recycled. We also use FSC approved board for our card uh, packaging. But the, the main benefit is that you're only shipping the product that you're going to sell. None of our product will go to landfill because you only make it when you sell it, which it has twofold impact. One, it's great for the retailer because they're, they're only paying for it when they're actually passing the product to the consumer. So it's amazing for working capital, but back to the point of being environmentally sustainable, it's never gonna to go to landfill because it's never going to age and it's always going to be, be needed. That the foundation category as a whole, if you look at the 80-20 Pareto's rule, it's quite unprofitable in a lot of areas and it's almost impossible for a retailer to be you know, sustainable and be inclusive because there are so many people out there and everybody has an individual requirement. You can't possibly cater to all those people with the traditional model. And one of the main sell points we have to our partners and third parties is about you know, a truly inclusive offer without compromising the profitability and also being able to deliver on your truly being sustainable. There is no greenwashing here. It's fully, you know, from an integrity point of view, we can hold our heads high and we know that we are able to really make a difference rather than back to the box checking exercise that says, yes, we are more sustainable. We are probably as sustainable as you could get uh, as of now. I, we still have opportunities to improve on that in the future, but we're probably about as good as it gets at the moment. Bertha Keir-Wise was a sustainable business, Gillian. The blue movement, is that impacting on you? Oh yeah, I mean, look, I think, I think that both Ross and, and Mallory have, have spoken to it really well, which is an increasing, consumer awareness and concern about how their own habits um their own their own purchasing habits their own usage habits etc impact impact the globe uh whether that is blue whether that is green uh whether that is the quality of our air um and anybody who's a parent and i have a 13 and 11 year old will be able to tell you exactly how much plastic is in the ocean because the next generation gen z even more than the millennial generation who are even ahead of us as gen x um, are absolutely focused on this so yes as a brand this has always been 
our core concern, um, which sort of evacuates the whole greenwashing element for us, because this is what we've been doing before anybody else decided that they were going to launch one refillable item and, and, and call themselves sustainable. You know, I think, I think, however, what has to happen here, and I think Ross spoke to this very well, and, and they're obviously extraordinary business model of just creating one product per person that that person needs and is for them, is also in line with what we do, which is let's not create it unless it's actually better than what is out there already. Because, you know, take mascara, which Mallory referred to as one of the most highly consumed categories in, in beauty, which is absolutely right. We, we should, as mascara users, um, change our mascara every six weeks for the health of our eyes and, and germs, etc. So if people actually do that, imagine how many they're getting through in a day, sorry, in a year, in a decade, in, in a lifetime. And we were missing within our portfolio at Kierweiss a true volumizing mascara because not just being a sustainable brand, but being a certified organic brand, which often gets lumped in with clean and clean is an unregulated and undefined part of the market. It's great. It's obviously brought a lot of consumer awareness, but certified organic, we're obviously regulated. We didn't have a truly volumizing mascara. And if you look at mascara consumption, the number one uh, category of mascara globally is volumizing so we set out to launch a to develop and launch a mascara that truly was as good if not better than the best-selling traditional brand in mascara in luxury and in September so just last month we launched impossible mascara from Kia Weiss which is certified organic by Cosmos Eco Cert which is uh has been ranked by three out of four consumers so you know three out of four women in testing said that said that it was as good as if not better than their classic you know volumizing luxury formula but is also fully refillable as our products are and presented in packaging that is recycled and as you know Mallory again referred to one of the challenges with uh, with mascara is all of the different parts of componentry and I believe that we're the first brand ever to actually have a fully recycled wand which comes from recycled nylon as well as as, as well as uh, fully uh, previously post-consumer recycled um, inner tube and an aluminium external tube so that when the consumer needs to replace their mascara they're just buying the refill and popping it in and they know and they know that they can they can recycle the inner so we we passionately believe in our contribution uh being a positive one to the environment to to the green movement to the blue movement etc and these things all come together but you can only do that if you are producing a product that people actually want and is going to convert them to a better solution than what they're using already because at the end of the day most consumers that use mascara want a volumized lash and while they want that to be in a certified organic and sustainable packaging if they can't get the effect that they need from the product they will go back to something that isn't that and therefore it's our responsibility to ensure that we're not just contributing positively in packaging and environmental footprint but we're also positively moving people through product performance which allows them to genuinely participate and become loyal in a new category of business. Mallory in 2021 how is government policy aiding or abetting the global colour cosmetics market? 
Well, globally, we're seeing a shift in consumer demand for stronger legislation and regulation around color cosmetics, with governments finally beginning to intervene when it comes to what goes into our makeup products. Canada, for example, is taking steps to remove talc from cosmetics and personal care items, while regulatory boards are investigating issues like the wide use of contaminated, unregulated cosmetics in Pakistan. While some markets already have very stringent standards for safety and efficacy, other markets like the United States sadly still have a long way to go to align with other international standards in terms of its own federal response to cosmetic regulation. The FDA, for example, has fewer than 30 staff members, which is a shockingly small amount. Also considering that the US has banned less than a dozen chemicals um, while the EU has banned over 1600. And while certain states like California have taken individual action, we've yet to see a cohesive federal response until now. In the US, we recently saw the introduction of the Safer Beauty Bill, which bans certain ingredients within cosmetics and also enforces more ingredient transparency. Uh, this package actually consists of four prospective bills, the Toxic Free Beauty Act, the Cosmetic Supply Chain Transparency Act, the Fragrance and Flavor Right to Know Act, and the Cosmetic Safety for Communities of Color and Professional Salon Workers Act. And that last component, the Cosmetic Safety for Communities of Color and Professional Salon Workers Act, highlights another important area where government and color cosmetics collide, that communities of color have historically been exposed to the most dangerous chemicals and the least amount of regulation when it comes to cosmetic safety, making all more important for governments to get involved in this issue. In addition, there's also a growing movement to try and regulate, reduce, and altogether remove animal testing worldwide. Aiding this movement is the steady growth of the vegan beauty trend uh, within markets like China, Korea, and Japan, which is driving calls to reverse the need for animal testing. China's National Medical Products Association, for example, has already lifted certain requirements for animal testing on imported quote-unquote ordinary cosmetics, marking a huge shift in policy. Elsewhere, groups like the Beagle Freedom Project are advocating for stricter legislation to ban animal testing in any form and are working to increase consumer awareness and education when making beauty purchases. And what have been the Brexit challenges at Decipher, Ross? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, considerable. Uh, things that a year ago would have been very simple, would have required very little effort, now require a, a huge amount. So there's uh, so personally, I, I don't think that you know, legislation goes far enough when it comes to the sustainability aspects, but equally, the Brexit scenario makes what they have done harder to comply with because it becomes more fragmented, you know, different markets with different rules. Uh, but the biggest problem is around shipping, around moving. You know, we have machines which are very expensive uh, to, you know, to insure and manufacture that we need to move around markets. So we have some in Italy at the moment, some in France, and we have been trying to enable those for, well, nearly a year now, but predominantly because of Brexit and also the pandemic, to be honest, we've had uh, huge delays. Um, we have one machine that we're now trying to return from Italy back to the UK, and it's taken over a month to get that back to the UK for something that would have taken three, four days a year ago. So the, the cost, the time, the knowledge required is considerable now. Uh, the impact and cost of duties and, and VAT, it's, you know, it's beyond the headache. And I think some of the impact we're going to see from this is that you know, more uh, indie brands, smaller brands that 
have been a big part of our market for quite a long time, you know, driving change and, you know, being challenges in industry, it's going to become harder and harder for them to be able to meet the legislation, whether that's for Brexit, because let's be honest, we can't just be, you know, brands within the UK now, we have to be pan-European and global brands realistically to, to be able to survive because you need that scale. And it's hard to find within purely within the UK. So there's a lot of challenges within Brexit and logistically, and also in being compliant with every market you want to operate in. But then really it comes down to the cost of being compliant because there's a lot of specialist knowledge required. And then there's a lot of paperwork and you know, there's a lot of processes that need to be completed, which means that those brands who are probably driving the most creative aspects of our industry are going to find it harder and harder to find the scale that they need to be able to survive. What are the global challenges at Kira Wise, Gillian? Um, I, I think I think Ross spoke to it, to it really well, which is that life becomes more and more complicated and it comes more and more complicated because of factors and a lot of the uncertainty and, and new paperwork and rules and regulations around Brexit. And then you have to you have to twin that with the the knock-on impact of, of the pandemic into supply chain, whether that's raw material uh, lack of availability, the worldwide shortage of glass, um, the fact that no shipping container is in the right part of the world at the moment, and you know it's it's almost as expensive to ship by sea rather than air, which takes us back to our problem with environmental impact, but making sure that we stay commercial. These it's just it's it's, it's almost like a perfect storm at the moment, and and every brand, no matter no matter the size. Is, is dealing with it um, and of course we will deal with it because we all have the ambition to be global brands and to make sure that we leave a positive impact on, on the planet as, as we do so. So we have no choice but to say, okay, how do, we, how do we manage this? How do we push through it? But it does lead to making decisions. You know, do you open a certain market at that time? Can you do multiple things simultaneously or do you have to make more considered choices as a brand? And I think that, I think that's part of being a business. I think that's part of being a leader is to be able to identify decisions given a set of parameters that you're working with. But certainly a lot of these, a lot of these changes that we are seeing are impacting that in a much more dramatic way than, than, than any one of us could have predicted coming into 20 and 20 and 21. And I think then going back to sort of the, the, the government, the government um, issued, you know, mandates and restrictions. I have to say, I think that many governments are doing are doing an interesting job about trying to keep up with consumers i think the us is 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 far far behind as mallory stated but but i think fundamentally brands are more being led by consumer sentiment than they are government regulation at the moment once of course as a brand you have you have complied with the restrictions that you that you that you face within the territory with which you want to market and of course the eu being very restrictive on one area and china in another so i think i think that it's we're really i think we're a bit we're in a moment of being a consumer-led industry which is which is no bad thing i just hope that those uh, those governments that need to around the world catch up to to stay to stay current with what their their population wants so we're becoming a consumer-led industry, Mallory. What could, should the global colour cosmetics market look like in 12 months' time? 
Well, as scientists predict that we're entering the endemic stage of COVID-19 in many areas, which is to say that coronavirus becomes a regular part of life that we adapt to and live with like the seasonal flu, we're going to see the arrival of the actual new normal that will govern our lives for the foreseeable future. In this new reality, consumers are going to begin to habituate themselves to our COVID-19 adaptations, which will have a really interesting effect on our makeup choices. The effects of this will certainly be different from consumer to consumer, but one of the larger trends that we expect to play out is definitely this exploration of new identities. People are reinventing themselves post-pandemic, and we expect to see this experimentation through bold makeup looks. Certainly across the recent Global Fashion Week runways, we saw an array of colorful, creative makeup artistry previewing an exciting year ahead for makeup. I think we can expect consumers to really step out of their comfort zones and embrace embellishment, vivid pigments, and more artistic looks that maybe they might not have gone for before the pandemic. And conversely, as consumers are radically rethinking the routines and continuing to focus on quality, less but better products, as well as skincare, we expect to see more of this skinification of color cosmetics with makeup products designed to care for and improve skin appearance over time. Recent examples like Pure Voc by Wonder Skin represent this fusion of skincare and makeup with their blurring, illuminating, and tone perfecting serum. While overall, we also expect to see color cosmetics continue to adapt formulation wise to mask mandates with more long lasting, breathable formulations that don't irritate the skin or cause maskne. And lastly, we certainly hope to see the continuation of sustainability and more plentiful and improved eco-conscious options, along with more inclusive and diverse brands and products tailored to people of color. And for you, Ross, what does Decipher look like in the next 12 months? Well, from our perspective, you know, we, we hope and expect that retail will continue to bounce back. You know, we've already seen a lot of positivity. I think online will continue to be a very important and much more important part of any retailer's you know, uh, repertoire than it was previously. Uh, I think there's a big opportunity for enhancing the experience in store. So giving consumers and customers a real reason to go back into store to get something that they won't get online. And at the same time, seeing the offer advance and progress online with, you know, less quirky, less gimmicky, more truly value-added experiences. You know, there's a lot of people out there spending a lot of time, money and effort to develop those concepts. And I think there's, you know, there's some really clever stuff that is going on out in the marketplace now that as that starts to come to market will drive a lot of loyalty for the right retailers. And we, we've talked about a lot of uh, challenges that the industry faces, which is, yeah, okay, it can be quite negative and very difficult, but with that comes opportunity as well. So whether we're talking about ourselves or, or other, you know, challenger evolving brands can really give them an opportunity to take advantage of that situation that, you know, we've, we've talked about our approach to sustainability is, you know, far and away, pretty much every brand that's out there. You know, the challenges that come with that, uh, with sustainability in the marketplace, also create the opportunity for us to drive you know, awareness and our market share uh, beyond that of our competitors but then also for you know, the independent brands we talked about earlier they have a lot of challenges in just their profitability and being able to survive um, I think that's going to lead to a lot of M&A activity within the marketplace and a lot of consolidation and I think we'll have to wait and see whether that's actually a good thing for for the market and the industry as a whole 
or, or not. I personally, I hope it is because the the smaller brands and you know, brands who have some some vision and can really lead the categories that they're participating in in the future need that support to to help them get to where they are. Uh, going to have enough scale to really drive things forward. That's what I'd like to see. And for you, Gillian. Well, we've had an extraordinary year at Kierweiss with with amazing with amazing growth in uh, in all categories and in all channels, um, which has sort of rather flown in the face of some of the challenges that we've all described on this call between su supply chain uh, and 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 closures closures owing to the pandemic. And I think that I think it comes back to I think it comes back to twenty twenty two. Um, we will see that resurgence of that consumer love for beauty. We've spoken about it, starting to see it this year, starting to see, um, as Mallory described, the kind of the, the, the coming out of the pandemic into the endemic stage and what does beauty mean for a consumer? And I think we, as an industry, beauty is exciting and should be exciting and dynamic. And I think that we see consumers all over the world hungry for that dynamism, but again, to refer back to something we've said in a very, very thoughtful way. I think as Ross refers to quite correctly, the, the, the challenges for smaller and independent brands, of course, of which we are, which we are one, rapidly growing, but independent, is how do we manage working capital and the financials and, and the opportunities that we have against some of the challenges that will remain in supply chain availability, et cetera. So I see it being, I see it being another, another critical year with masses of upside and some really, some really thoughtful, some really thoughtful uh, business behavior to get us there. Um, I think it's very interesting what we're seeing, particularly in markets like the UK, where stores are really open and the vast majority of the population is vaccinated. And I've been lucky enough to be back in London, although I live in New York twice in the last in the last six weeks for business. And I'm struck by how much activity and how much transactional activity is happening in stores. And I think we're going to see that continuation into 2022, both in stores and of course with the convenience and the personalization of online from a consumer who who wants to get back at it but wants to do it in in a, in a really thoughtful way and i think we'll continue to see the rise of the challenger brands that can make it and the continued challenge for some of the very big heritage brands that perhaps look less current to the consumer and have not embraced uh, sustainability and ingredients, etc., in in the way that some of the of the smaller, more independent brands, the challenger brands, have done. And with that, I would like to thank all my guests, Mallory, Ross, and Gillian, for joining me today, and to you for listening.